Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. We're going to talk about what's new on TV with one of the couch potatoes, Jeff Braun. Daniel Blakey will be on the podcast. He is the NDP MP in Elmwood, Transcona. And we're also going to have Carolyn Klassen on from Conexus Counseling. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please rate this podcast. And now, the podcast. She's back and as political as ever. Candace Bergen stars in the Murphy Brown revival, hitting CBS tonight. And she says her TV journalist character will take on Trump. So how's she preparing for the backlash? Other than getting armor and uh, <laughs> going in a, a, a silo. To, I, I, you know, I don't know what the reaction will be. And I, I'm trying to brace myself. <laughs> Murphy Brown went off the air 20 years ago. Tonight's the first of 13 new episodes. Jason Nathanson, ABC News. Hollywood. Yes, Murphy Brown is back on TV tonight after 20 years and here to talk about that and some of the other stuff on TV. One of the couch potatoes, Jeff Braun. Are you excited about Murphy Brown? I'm not excited about it. I will watch it though. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to watch the old Murphy Brown. I'll give the new one a try. I don't think I'm really excited about it though. No, I, Especially I think, if it gets uh, too political. I wasn't a huge fan of the show back in the day. Yeah. But I think now with Trump in the White House, all. Oh, this it's good? is, well, I think this potentially could be a fantastic show because right now all the shows, Colbert and others, that deal with the politics are doing well. They're getting good ratings. It's true. Even Roseanne, right? <laughs> For a while there, yeah. You know? So I think maybe this could be perfect timing for Murphy Brown to make a comeback. So long as the, sh- the show, so long as the show is good. And, right. And funny. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Then now, why not? Uh, you were a bit concerned about this uh, new show, New Amsterdam. It well, was on the other night. I PVR'd it. Yeah. I watched it last night. And, and it is good. Really? It is really good. The promos, it just looks so cliche about like the rogue doctor who's like, fights this, you know, the system oppresses yeah. proper medical care and I'm, we're going to buck this system. We're going to change the world, you guys. No, it's good, man. The first, very good acting. Okay. It kind of reminded me of, uh, it kind of reminded me of Grey's Anatomy when I started watching Grey's back in the day. All right. Good characters, good acting, pretty cool story set in New York, this big public hospital, characters, cool characters. I'm going to give it another chance. Give it a shot. It was very good. The first episode was very good. We'll see if I stick with it. That's all I'll definitely be back for number two. There you go. So long as you enjoy it. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also want to mention quickly. That Big Brother wrapped up last night. Oh. And Casey won. Very excited about that. All right. Many are saying, <laughs> that I know you, whatever. Uh, many are saying it was the best season of Big Brother ever. And I wow. would agree it's one of the best seasons ever. That's pretty good. I, yeah. I dropped out of that show at least five years ago, maybe even longer. I did watch, I don't know, the first 10 seasons yeah. of it or right. 10 years of it. Yeah. With Julie Chen Moonves. Yes. <laughs> She's well, she added, added that, that now. Yeah, she added that on her ring. Well, think um, she'll be back? She quit the other one. The way she promoted it last night with Celebrity Big Brother, uh, she said, we'll be back. Yeah. So I almost think she's going to come back. 
Well, a lot can happen in 10 months. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. but I guess we'll see. Uh, you're not into Big Brother anymore, nope. but you are into a show, a show that I am no longer into, and that's Survivor. Yeah, I didn't get to watch it last night because well, I, I, it was Adventures in plumbing, pl- plumbing at my house. Yeah. Yes. But I do. I'm excited about Survivor. It's been on a real... The last season wasn't its best, but the last few years yeah. I've seen a, a weird resurgence, and for some reason it's just yeah. it's been really good. I mean, like all the reality shows, it, it depends on who they get. Mm-hmm. It depends entirely on the contestants or yeah. not entirely but in a large part so yeah I, I still find that exciting I'm glad I'm mm-hmm. glad it's back and this is David versus Goliath and then yeah. also starting up tonight the good place I started watching this on Netflix yes and I was out after four or five episodes four or but five you episodes? like this one eh? I do like this one and I think it gets better as it goes along mm. it's a serialized comedy yeah so you do have to s- start at the beginning it's a season three premiere tonight but those first two seasons like you mentioned are on Netflix yeah. and they're short they're only 13 episodes each I think yeah and it's a half hour show so yeah. you're in and out in 20 minutes yeah. and yeah. Ted Danson's in it and I mean, I'll I'll watch anything Ted Danson's in for yeah. a little for a little while. I guess I didn't really watch Becker when he was in that. <laughs> now that's kind of it for me as far as new TV goes. Uh, what about you? Any other shows we should be watching? The only other thing I've picked up so far this week was I, I watched the first episode of Magnum PI, the oh. reboot. And I really like the old Magnum PI. We used to watch. I guess we when I was a kid. I guess my mom used to like to watch the new ones because mm. I think a lot of moms used to like to watch Magnum <laughs> P.I. I had the big mustache, yeah. yeah. But then it lived on in reruns too, so I remember I, yeah. I've watched Magnum P.I. all the time. It's funny. It had good action. Mm. Tom Selleck is – who doesn't like Tom Selleck? I mean, come on. Yeah. Now, he's not there this time. they got this other guy, this Jay Hernandez. He's a seems like a likable enough character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I don't I, – I know it's not going to be as good as the other one, yeah. but it's it's your standard cop show, but it's shot in Hawaii, so you got that going for it. Uh, did you ever see the sitcom Happy Endings? No. It was on for three seasons a few years back. Uh, the guy that played Dave in that plays Rick uh-huh. in this, and he's really funny. And uh, and it, the other thing, it's got like sort of the sarcastic narration hmm. that he does, that Tom Selleck did in the other one. Yep. That that gives it a little bit of a different flavor than a standard cop show, but I don't know. I, I, I like the Hawaii scenery, and especially yeah. when well, January, February rolls around. Even now. Yeah. Look at the weather we've been yeah, having. Exactly. It's yeah. like, what's wrong with uh, watching the surf for a little I bit? I do think they're going a bit far in Hollywood with these reboots. Though. It's the same guy, too. P- a Lankoff or Lankinoff or something, because he did the same guy doing this Magnum one did the mm-hmm. MacGyver one did the five zero Hawaii five zero and that. So can we maybe get a new idea, Hollywood? No, hmm? Hollywood. No, we take an old yeah. idea and we just flog it as hard mm-hmm. as we can until we squeeze every little nickel I out of guess. it. And I mentioned Grey's Anatomy when we were talking about New Amsterdam. I will be watching Grey's Anatomy tonight. Yes, I'm still. I'm the one still watching that show. Fifteen seasons in, somebody's Nobody watching. Nobody else is. I am. <laughs> and also, How to Get Away with Murder. Oh, yeah, which like is one, a eh? favorite around my house too. Do you ever watch uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? It's no, but I've heard ba- it's very good. It started back up a couple weeks ago, um, and that's I think ooh, thirteen seasons right now. I don't know how, and you're one of the couch potatoes, so this is kind of part of your job. Yeah. I don't know how people have enough time to watch so many TV shows. I know it's ridiculous. That's the good. That's what people like about the Netflix model, though, is yeah. that they can watch it whenever they want. Yeah, and and they can watch a bunch of it all at once and get into it. Yeah. for a week and then be out of it. You know what I mean? I was excited yesterday to hear and mention on the show that Making a Murderer yeah. season two is coming next month to Netflix. I I read that too, and then I immediately I'm trying to forget. 
everything we've learned about their case since the last one. Yeah. Because there have been some updates there have in the been. real world, which I assume will be included yep. this season. I would assume, although they say that this second season now will focus on the prison, like being in prison. Oh, really? As opposed to the case, it was the, the, the yeah, case yeah. was a focus before. Now it's going to be the experience of the penalty being in prison and that part of it. And... So, I will. Uh, what's that? Go ahead. Well, people. I think the big one of the major appeals of the first season was that everyone sort of, you know, got there was that sense of community as everyone was got yeah. angry at that police department, right? right? Yeah, so, and it, everybody was watching it yeah. at the same time, yeah. and everybody was talking about it. That was part of the yeah. appeal, I think. Absolutely. And I'll just tell you this: I'm struggling now with Jackie to get through the final couple or or three episodes of. Maniac on Netflix. Oh, that just that just. This came is out. the one with Jonah Hill and uh, La La Land. Emma, what's Thompson. her name? Emma, nope. no, 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 Emma Stone. Yes, Emma Stone. Didn't that just open last week? Yes, and we're just about done. Wow, and we're getting close to the end, and we're going. What was this all about? <laughs> like, oh, we, a... is there any payoff anywhere? So I don't know. I'm not done yet. Maybe at the end I'll go. Ah, okay, it was worth it. But so far, I feel like I've maybe wasted my time. But that's the trick, right? At least with Netflix, you can see the end of the tunnel. True. So yeah, or you can abandon it at any point, right? You can yeah. say I'm done, and you and or take a break. Yep. Yeah. Come back later. It's not like Lost, where you put six whole years into it. Yes. Only to be feel mm-hmm. you got you sort of messed at th- with at the end. Yeah. yeah. Or watch it again. Go back and say I'm going to watch that episode again. Yeah. I missed something in there. Or I'm not quite sure on something. I, I the Netflix Boy, model. Do I, do, I do that a lot more than I ever used to it yeah. as I get older. <laughs> yeah. The Netflix model. There are I would say way more benefits than cons. More pros than cons. Yeah. Um. I, I I've heard the guy that makes the good place who also co-created Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And mm. these are all, these are three of the top 10 shows of the last yeah. decade as far as I'm concerned. Mm. He, he goes to bat for the network model only in that he feels that if there's a time restriction and language restriction, it forces you to become more creative. Mm. So you could argue it both ways like that. Joining us now from Ottawa is the NDP MP for Elmwood Transcona, Daniel Blakey. Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Tell me about this private member's bill the other day. Sure. So I've, I've been working with uh, workers and their unions who who, who represent the, the uh, people who work in Canada's nuclear industry for for some time now. There was a decision made under the Harper government to privatize the management of Canada's nuclear assets. And as part of that deal, it meant that all the workers that were under the public service pension plan were effectively getting kicked out of their pension. There was a three-year grace period. It ended this September. And uh, the Liberals have been talking to those workers and their representatives for a number of years saying that, you know, there was a way to fix this and make sure that they stay in the plan. Because for a lot of people, getting into the nuclear industry really is about Having a, it's you know, it takes a lot of training. It's it's a it's a high skill profession. People go into it um, b- because it sets them up, and 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 they and they want to have a decent pension. So these folks are being kicked out of their plan, and and the and the and the bill essentially is to give the Liberals after you know wasting two years to find a real and meaningful solution for these folks. It gives them another. It, it would give them another year if they pass it. Unfortunately, they 
said no uh, to providing uh, consent to have this bill move through quickly, uh, but it would have given them an extra year to work on a solution. Now, if you look across the country, there are a number of jurisdictions that uh, that actually allow um, workers who aren't necessarily public servants, but but work for corporations that are largely funded by government, or in some cases, you know, uh, private schools and and other groups. Um, Ontario just announced that they're going to allow some nonprofit organizations to participate in the public service pension plan. Now that doesn't mean that it's free in any way. The, the the employer pays the employer contribution, the employee pays the employee contribution, but it opens up the plan. That would be one way of making sure that these workers continue to have their pension. Um, another way would be, you know, when, when the management contract is up, is to actually have these workers come back working for Atomic Energy Canada, which is where they all were before. When this change happened, they all kept doing the same job that they did before. It's the same people running the uh, facilities. There's just a private management company involved that wasn't involved before, and the upshot is that these people are out of their pension. What that means for us in Manitoba that I yeah, think is really significant. that's what I was going to ask you, because I think you said there were 3,000 workers affected. How many of those here in Winnipeg, or in, in Winnipeg and in Manitoba? It's a smaller number in Manitoba. The majority of these workers are at the Chalk River uh, facility, right. but there are a significant amount of workers that are still working in Pinawa. Now, you, you may know that the Pinawa site is uh, set to be decommissioned, uh, right. but that's a process that's going to take a number of years. Part of the problem is when you have these workers that have been working at that site, and they're maybe 20 years into their pension, and they're being told now that they can't contribute anymore, they're, they're looking at retirement and saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, if sticking around doesn't mean I'm adding to my pension anymore... Uh, and I'm 55 and I'm ready to to retire, why don't I just do it now? But what that means is that that site-specific knowledge that those people have for having worked there for such a long time is going out the door just as we're getting ready to wrap up this site. That's important knowledge that I think needs to stay there. And one of the ways to incentivize people to stay there and make sure that the decommissioning goes as well as it possibly can is to not kick these people out of their yeah. pension plan just right. as they're just, just as we're on the cusp of this really important mm-hmm. uh, moment at the uh, Pinawa site. So I think it's pretty short-sighted um, from from that point of view in, in, in terms of having a safe and successful decommissioning. And I also think it's just unfair to these workers. They're there was no consultation. There was no discussion with them. There was no opportunity to bargain or to propose other solutions. They were just kind of pushed out. Yeah. I also want to talk to you about phone scams. I saw you get up in the house this week on that as well. People in Northeast Winnipeg are fed up with scam phone calls. They're among the thousands of Canadians that every year are harassed on the phone by unscrupulous con artists. Some fall victim to these schemes, losing their life savings and their sense of trust in the world around them. My office is receiving more and more reports of these calls. The people on the line pretend to be in a position of authority and threaten legal action if their target doesn't agree to pay a bogus fee. Some people are getting one or more calls a day and they're reaching their wits end. While Canadians are encouraged to report these scams to the RCMP's Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, too often they're met with a busy signal. When that happens, the information that should help international law enforcement find and shut these guys down doesn't get to where it needs to go. Clearly, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre needs more resources to do its job protecting Canadians from these ill-willed and irritating invasions of their privacy. I call on the government to do so. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's something I think probably all of your listeners have experienced at least one of those calls. Yep. 
Uh, I get them at my house. We get them at my constituency office. Hmm. And, 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 and we've called in to report those calls to say, hey, you know, we're getting these at, at the office and it's obnoxious. It's interfering with, with, with our work, you know, when we're trying to help constituents. And you, and you think you've got a phone call you have to answer and it turns out it's a scam. Um, so they are obnoxious. Everybody knows that. That's, but, you know, at best they're obnoxious. In some cases, especially for seniors and, and for new Canadians, um, you know, some people go for the scam, and it means that, yeah. they, that, that they lose their livelihood, they lose their life savings, and they, and they lose their sense of trust uh, as well. And um, so it's something that I think pretty clearly we need to be doing more about, and a big frustration for folks who are trying to do the right thing. They get one of these calls, they say, what can I do to take action? And they're told the RCMP has a Canadian anti-fraud centre, call them, report it. But then when they call, they get a busy signal. So there's obviously an issue there. No. Um, you know, if, if we're going to have a line where people call and report, as we should, we also need to make sure that it's staffed properly so that yeah. when Canadians make the effort to help, um, you know, it's, it's not a waste of their time. Mm-hmm. And, and the other dimension that, that we talked about is just that, uh, you know, a lot of these calls aren't coming from within the country. So there is a need for international cooperation, that was the kind of thing that when the Prime Minister was in India, because there was a CBC story recently that said, you know, one of the kind of major and most common scams is coming out of India. That's the kind of thing that you would hope is being raised on a trip like that. Yeah. And you would hope that our government and our Prime Minister would be fostering a positive working relationship with the government in India so that they can work together to take action on this. And, you know, and instead what we saw was a, was a photo op tour that actually did more harm than good. And and the frustrating part is that that interferes with efforts to have closer cooperation between our two governments to put an end to this kind right. of stuff. Yeah. Hey, Daniel, while I've got you, I want to talk to you about your victory in Elmwood Transcona back in 2015. You just barely won the riding, but you won the riding. And, of course, your dad has quite the history there. Your sister, Rebecca, uh, really involved in politics as well. Tell me what it's been like representing Elmwood Transcona in Ottawa. Well, it's been a real honor and uh, privilege, and I think one of the one, one of the things that I was told growing up by my dad, who was doing this work, but you, but you get a much much better sense of if you get the opportunity to come here yourself, is just that there's a lot of things that get said by NDP MPs in the House that wouldn't get said if we weren't there, mm-hmm. and I think that really matters to to a riding like Elma Transcona because you know a lot of us in Elma. Tra- I I'm I'm an electrician by trade. I was working in construction before before I got elected to the House of Commons, um, and on blue collar issues like like pensions, and that's part of why I've been working with these CNL workers yeah. so hard because I know what it is to go into work every day and work your butt off and, 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 and try to be building towards your future. But you need to have a government that, that protects pension promises, whether it's in a public workplace or a private workplace. That's why my, my colleague Scott Duvall from, from Hamilton has been doing work on, on uh, bankruptcy protection so that when companies go under, like Sears, uh, workers' pensions actually get protected they, and, and workers get the money that, that they're owed out of, out of the pension fund before it goes to big banks and uh, creditors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when it, com- when it comes to health care, uh, you know, it's, it's workers who benefit most from having a public health system where we, where we share the costs because medical costs can be really expensive. It's why the NEPs and, and I have advocated for a long time for, for a national prescription drug plan or a pharmacare program. I mean, I think when we work together, 
we can accomplish a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been surprised at the absence of those kinds of messages coming from the other parties in the uh, House of Commons, and it's something that I've come to see. And so it's made me feel even more. I I felt that before I ran for office, and it's why I ran for office. But having been here, I see even more that it really is important to send people to Ottawa who are willing to stand up for those things, because not everybody – it's common sense to me, but not everybody around here sees it because their friends are on Bay Street, and, and it changes the way they look at the world. Let me ask you if it's lonely in opposition. You know, your dad was in opposition all those years representing Elmwood, Transcona. You're in opposition now. Private members' bills, we talked about your private members' bill, they tend to die. Um, Is it frustrating being in opposition, or is there sort of a badge of honor that comes with that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I, think, I think you have to be a fighter. And I think, you know, and I think if you come from northeast Winnipeg, and I'm, you know, I, I was born and raised in uh, Transcona, yep. then, then, then you come up with the attitude of a fighter. That's important in opposition. And I think what gets overlooked sometimes is that even though it can be frustrating and, and, and even though you, you don't always get your way, good opposition work can lead to success. Yeah. So yeah. I think of one of the examples from, from this parliament um, going back, to, to last summer, uh, summer 2017, our offices uh, started getting calls because there were seniors who were in a situation where one member of the couple had to move into a personal care home. And it used to be that for the guaranteed income supplement for the CPP, like for the Canada Pension, mm-hmm. if, if you lived together, then you were assessed on, a, on, a, on your joint income. But if you were forced to separate, then they would reevaluate you, and 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 usually people would then qualify for for the GIS, and it would help offset some of the costs of the personal care home. But the government changed that policy without changing the law; they just changed the interpretation of the policy. And so we were getting calls from seniors who were saying, you know, my husband is going to a personal care home. When this happened to our friends three years ago, they were able to apply for the GIS, and they got it, and we're being told no. And, and when we started raising that in the House in the fall of 2017, very quickly, the government reversed that, that decision. And so for me, that was an example of some of the good things that you can do in opposition. So you don't get your way every day. You do have to have the attitude of a fighter. Uh, you have to know that some things are worth saying, even if the government doesn't want to hear it. Um, but there are times when you break through and, and you can make a big difference in the, in the lives of ordinary Canadians who are trying to get by and live a good life. Boy, we could go on and on about all that stuff, uh, but it is an important conversation to have, and, and I'm hoping we will have more conversations uh, like that. I know we wanted to talk about, um, I sent you some numbers, we were talking about this on the show yesterday, personal happiness, right, mm-hmm. and and how... Money has very little to do with our personal happiness. Maybe talk about that and screen time. Sent you another okay. article about yep. screen time. I'm kind of mixed up here as to what our order is <laughs> going to be or what we're talking about, and I know you're prepared, so just go. Carolyn Classen show now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you sent me a couple of clips of real... You always send me such interesting stuff every yeah. week that I just love to catch up on. Um, a survey of 2,000 Americans found that people believe that the key to personal bliss is a mixture of being true to yourself and spending time with family. Mm. And so in summary, um, and I know people might get tired of me saying this, but it's about that we are wired for connection. Yeah. 
wired for connection with others and wired for connection with ourselves. Mm. And that's not to say that money isn't important. We need a certain amount of money to be able to, to be happy, right. pay our rent or our mortgage and buy our groceries. So a certain amount of money makes us, gives us a certain level of life satisfaction if we get a certain amount of life quality. But yeah. often people think, well, if I had more money, I would be more happy. And once your basic expenses are covered, it's not about more money that makes you happy. It's about things like spending time with family, yeah. eating meals with family, getting enough rest, being able to pay attention to what it is that your body is asking for and giving your body that, mm-hmm. taking time for yourself, listening to music, spending time with friends, that these are the important things. And so I think it's helpful for us to recognize that often we're so busy rushing from one thing to another to make sure we make enough money, to make sure we're you know, getting all our screen time and checking up on all the social media that when you check with people about what actually makes you happy, it's about spending time with yourself and spending time with friends and family. Yeah. You point out on that list of things of things that make us happy, uh, fast Wi-Fi is second last. <laughs> second last. Second yes. last, right? <laughs> and we're always on our screens, whether it's a, a phablet, a phone, or a, or a tablet. So let me ask you then, uh, if we're in a setting with a family, family member or friends, and the phones and the screens are out and stuff. How do you deal with that kind of stuff? I mean, I guess you just bring it up, right? You say, hey, uh, we're out together tonight. Uh, how about we look at each other, you know, in the face and talk instead of you checking your Facebook feed? Well, at our house, we kind of have a rule that says no screens at the table, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so when we're at the table and we enjoy not only supper at the table, but we enjoy a time of visiting after, mm. there are no screens. We just enjoy each other. We don't allow ourselves the distraction of the phone. And that's not to say that if the phone isn't ringing from the other room several times, it feels like it's important. We'll go answer it for sure, yeah. right? But that we make sure that we are with the ones who are who we are with. Um, and I think we are recognizing... and. Cell phones and and smartphones, they're really only about 15 years old, right? Mm -hmm. 15, 20 years old. So we really haven't grown up with figuring out how do we want to handle this. And so I didn't grow up with a rule, any rules around phones at the table because there were no phones, right? Mm -hmm. So we're having to create and invent these rules as we go along. And so part of what's happening is we're recognizing when we don't have these rules that we miss out on conversations because people are so busy on their screens. And mm-hmm. I've talked to people where they will say, you know, they're, they're at the table, they're talking about something, and then somebody will say, oh, well, that's interesting. Let me just check online quick about, you know, what you've just said to see if I can get the stat on that. But then they lose themselves in the phone, yeah, right? right? And then you've, you've, the conversation is not the same, mm-hmm. where as soon as you're checking technology, including technology on the phone, those face-to-face conversations stop. Yeah. So some people, like I've heard different people are having kind of fun ways of saying, well, so let's go out for dinner. And the first one to check their phone at the table pays the tab. Right. Right. Like how can you make it sort of fun, but also like have people be mindful of what's going on. But it is something that needs to be discussed, right? And figured out and talked about in your family or your circle of friends. Right. And I, for me... As I was thinking about this today, one of the things that we do as a family um, quite often when we somebody has a birthday is we say, so what were the highlights of your last year? What were the top moments? And um, I'd encourage your listener to do that too. Not even if there's a birthday, just go home and say, ask to people, what's your top moments of the last year? Mm. And what's interesting is that those moments never involve technology. Right. Well, it's like when you're laying on your deathbed, right? You don't say, man, I wish I'd worked more, right? right? Or boy, I wish I'd gone on Google more or watch more YouTube videos, yeah. right? It's like, I wish I'd spent more time with my family or I'd done this or, or done that. Important, significant stuff. 
we're, we're, you know, connected right. with other people. Yeah. And so quite often the highlight is like the week at the cabin, mm. right? Where we rent a cabin and there's no technology at the cabin. And yeah. we're just, we're playing card games. We're sitting, we're washing dishes. There's no dishwasher. And that's yeah. the highlight of, of the year. We have to ask ourselves, so if that is so good, then why don't we create what is so good about the best of that and mm. expand it within what, the kind of life that we're living right now? Yeah, something we talked about in the newsroom, and it kind of goes along with this conversation. We talked about this in the newsroom yesterday. Pot is going to be legal mm-hmm. in the province of Manitoba October 17th. And so how are families going to handle that, right? I mean, it's a legal product. Um there are going to be parents probably out there that have young uh, children still at home sure. that can drink legally, for mm-hmm. example, that I'll bet you are going to have a problem with you smoking pot at home now. Well, and let's just be clear. There's a lot of things that are legal that aren't very good for you. Right. Right. And so we have to recognize that just because something is legal does not mean yeah. that it's recommended. Right. But there will be parents, and I understand what you're yeah. saying, but there will be parents out there that say, yeah, Billy can have a drink if he wants, right? He's yep. 18. But that same parent might go, but you will not be stopping at Delta 9 on the way home so that you can sit around and smoke some weed tonight. So let me read you just a paragraph from an article I read today. Um, it's, called, it's from Scientific American, December 2017, What Pot Really Does to the Teen Brain. So this is the first couple sentences of this article. American parents have been warning teenagers about the dan- dangers of marijuana for about 100 years. Teenagers have been ignoring them for just as long. Yeah. Exaggerating the perils of cannabis, the risks of brain damage, addiction, psychosis has not helped. Any whiff of reefer madness hyperbole is perfectly calibrated to trigger an adolescent's instinctive skepticism for whatever the adult suggests. And the unvarnished facts are scary enough. Hmm. So I guess it's like anything else, right? Under under the roof, uh, it's a family issue that's going to have to be dealt with in that family's own way. Right. And I, th- I think when we see something as... You know, that what we're finding out about how marijuana affects the teen brain and what it does when people choose to use it and the reasons why people choose to use it, often because of peer pressure or trying to do something against your parents. It's not necessarily because this is something you are choosing that is good for you. Uh, there are so many complexities to the whole marijuana use amongst adolescents with the idea that um, marijuana can affect the brain for weeks after with the idea of how it, there's this complex interplay with potentially the onset of schizophrenia. There's just research that's being done about that now. It's so messy and quite frankly, so scary for parents that parents just want to shut her down and say, don't. Um, and when you say don't, and that's the end of the discussion, you actually give a whole lot of room for the kid to say, I hear you over here, but I'm going to go over there and do whatever I want. And the challenge is to figure out how to have the brave conversations where they're respectful, they allow for curious dialogue, for research, for all the ways that that we work to change somebody's position in any other context to say we need to talk about something that's scary in a brave way, in a way that's respectful, so that I can hopefully help you build up some internal decision-making skills that are going to allow you to make the right decisions when your friends pressure you. Not if, but probably when your friends pressure you. You're going to have to face that, and it's going to be really hard to say no. Let's have those 
conversations about how do you say no to your friends when that feels like the right thing to do? How do you let yourself hear that no inside when everything in you says, I just want to fit in? How do you figure out and do the research about what's really good for you rather than just what feels good in the moment? How do you think for the future, not just now? Those are hard conversations to have. And teenagers will give you all sorts of signals that you're dorky and they don't want to talk to you. But you can't underestimate a parent's voice in a child's life when it's respectful and loving and you can stay connected and engaged to your child. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.